And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully, you guys are having a terrific week. Uh, great show for you today. I was joined by my brother, Ezra Wyrick. Uh, we had a great conversation. We talked about the Durham report and, and how we can combat in increasingly uh, wicked and dangerous FBI and deep state. Uh, we talked about the government attempting to uh, regulate AI and what that would all entail. Uh, and a bunch more. We covered a lot. I think you guys will really enjoy it. Before we get to uh, Ezra, guys, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to subscribe. If you are an Apple user, please take just a couple seconds to leave us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate that. If you like the show and want to get involved, you can support us monthly over on Patreon, patreon.com slash the No Gimmicks Podcast. All right, without further ado, the great Ezra Ryrick. All right, guys, we're here with my brother, Ezra Wyrick. Ezra, how you been, man? Been good, man. Thank you for having me back on. Absolutely. So, obviously, we got to start with what everybody's talking about this week. The Durham report, finally out, confirms (laughs) what we've all known for years, you know, that the Russiagate propaganda all came from the Hillary Clinton campaign and that the Mm Obama-Biden regime and the FBI essentially attempted to turn the country into a one-party state. (laughs) The FBI had to admit that they never should have been investigating the Trump campaign. Obviously, we we all knew this, but for the normies out there, this is your government. Okay, like this this is my message today. This is your government. You now have irrefutable proof that your government will crush any dissidents. If you're a Republican, say, who who manages to get elected, the FBI will crush you and keep you from accomplishing anything. Mm -hmm. And unless there's drastic overhaul of government from the top down, I mean, this is going to keep happening. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think this is an issue, whatever you think about, like, Donald Trump, this this isn't a partisan issue. I mean, there are a lot of people that have that have clowned on, on Donald Trump that have talked about how, yeah, this we were wrong on this one. And it's 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 not really an issue where it, there should be party lines drawn. If you have the FBI, which is supposed to be the premier um, uh, criminal organization, I say criminal organization, I should say criminal justice organization, but uh, then maybe I was right the first time, right? Right. Um, if you have the premier criminal justice organization in the country going after a presidential candidate and uh, eventually, by extension, a president after the election victory, you don't have you don't. What what people need to understand is that this system is not broken. Right. I, I see a lot of people running around talking about how, oh, the system is broken. It's broken, and we need to fix it. No, it's not broken. It was built this way. Absolutely. And, the the FBI has been doing this kind of thing for a very 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 long time. The FBI has always been a political organization. It has always, you know, um, acquiesced to the political whims of whatever party is in power. Uh, it has never been accountable to the people. It was never meant to be accountable to the people. And I think you see this manifest in, you know, obviously the uh, the bogus uh, prosecution of of, of Trump. Uh, on account of Russian collusion or in regards to Russian collusion. But this is something that everyday citizens have to go through every single day. 
And if you're not a presidential candidate, if you don't have a billion dollars in your bank account, this doesn't make national headlines. This is something the FBI does on a regular, regular basis to uh, members of the public that are not famous, that are not presidential candidates. And it takes someone who's a presidential candidate suffering this for Republicans to finally work, um, for Republicans to finally wake up and say, yeah, maybe this agency needs to be reined in or, or even not exist. And it's like, well, welcome to the party, pal. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, the the the, the people that are, are that for some reason, they, they still believe that uh, that the deep state was was pure as the first canadian snowfall before mm-hmm. 2015 it's like my, my goodness you guys this is not a rogue fbi like the the fbi didn't no. break bad in 2015 i mean this is happening by design like when you establish a secret police you can't be shocked when they start doing secret police things okay like the, the fbi was exactly. designed to crush anything that poses a threat to the state you know it was designed to destroy americans not protect americans and i am encouraged that there are some mainstream Republicans, both like in, in Congress, it's like, you know, uh, what's her name, the crazy lady in Georgia, uh, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene introduced mm-hmm. articles of impeachment for the FBI director, Christopher Wray. And, you know, there's there's some normal Republicans like that that are starting to realize the nature of the state itself, like the nature of what we are up against. But if the right, if the political right was serious, there would be a universal call to destroy the FBI and scatter it to the winds. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that's the issue that we see uh, on a lot of issues uh, with, with the uh, with the right and with Republicans is that there's a lot of excessive incrementalism going on on some issues. But then on other issues, it's all gung ho and we need to do this now. And if we don't do this now, the country will uh, the country will never be the same or the country will fall. So it, it, it's, it's really interesting to see how whenever it comes to issues like the FBI, issues like the Patriot Act. There are too many conservatives out there who still, uh, you know, say that, oh, well, you know, these institutions are something that we've had for a very long time, and they're providing safety and stability, and we don't need to uh, get rid of them or, or, or try to reform them because, you know, these this is our premier um, criminal justice organization. And what does it say about our country if uh, if our premier criminal justice organization is involved in hit jobs on presidential candidates, uh, I think it says more about our government than it does about our country. And I think that's where the that's where the disconnect is. Too many people confuse uh, mine and your criticisms of the government as criticisms of America or criticisms of the country because we have this conflation of country and government nowadays. And, and it's very dangerous when that happens in a society. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do think we have a opportunity here um, to, to wake some people up, some some normies up. You know, I mean, like I, I you, you watch them take down a president because they didn't like him. You know, like I, I don't know if you, if you can't come to grips with what you're actually up against watching this unfold over the last, what, seven years now. <laughs> Uh, this has been going on, then then I don't know what is going to do it for you. Um, and, and I mean, it, this goes for the press as well. It, it goes for uh, the, the people that, that claim to be bringing you the news. I mean, every over the last 48 hours, every corporate journalist and every Democrat politician is now on the record supporting the secret police doing whatever they want to American citizens in order to help Democrats get elected. Every journalist, yeah. every journalist is on the record saying, we stand with the secret police against the American people. Every journalist put that on the record in the last 48 hours. When you see a journal, when you see the New York Times, CNN, the Washington Post, when you see your elected officials on the left, 
you have to understand they support secret police destroying you for no reason if you oppose Democrats. They're telling you who they are. I mean, they're, they're, laying, they're, they're bragging about it on television. They support secret police destroying you and your family if you're not a Democrat. That's who these yes. people are. I know we say it constantly. You know, the, the corporate press is the enemy of the American people. They're unequivocally. I mean, it, this is the, you have proof right in front of you. It's not up for debate. I mean, they're, they're bragging about it. The New York Times this morning. Oh, the Durham report doesn't matter. No, no, we didn't. Sure. No, it doesn't matter. It's like but the, these people stand with the worst people in the country, the, the literal secret, the, the American Gestapo. They stand with them against the people they're supposed to be bringing the news. It's absolutely disgusting. And they, it's mm-hmm. not like and conservatives. Obviously, a lot of conservatives listen to the show. And I, I truly do believe like if if people that love liberty like you and I, if we're ever going to accomplish anything, it's going to be by allying with the right, with conservatives, um, because we just don't have the numbers. Right. <laughs> we just don't. It's a numbers game, unfortunately. unfortunately. Um, and we and we don't have it. So we need their help. And, you know, you're seeing a lot of these conservatives, both you know, elected officials, commentators, like the old, old Jake Tapper must be embarrassed that he got it wrong. All these, years. these people aren't embarrassed. Oh, the no, Washington post must be, no, they're not embarrassed. Of course not. They, they're, they're allies of the FBI. They're allies of the secret police against you. They know exactly what they were doing. They knew it was all fake. They knew they were lying. If they didn't quote unquote, get it wrong. They got it exactly right. They accomplished their goals. They destroyed the Republican Party that destroyed Donald Trump's presidency. They mission accomplished for them. I mean, they, they have no problem exactly with what, what they, they did. Set out to do. They, they did, did exactly what they, what they got, do. what they set out to do. And they do it again and they will do it again. Mm-hmm. Yes, they absolutely, they absolutely will do it again. And it's, it's, you know, it's not, like I said, not really that, that, um, that prevalent of, of like a partisan issue as it is just an issue of the people that, presidents appoint to lead the FBI or to quote unquote head up the FBI, uh, they usually choose, you know, some partisan hack that is going to do the bidding uh, of the party in power. Uh, Donald Trump's mistake was that he kept Comey uh, as FBI director, who is a holdover, a holdover from the Obama administration. Uh, and Comey, you know, was, was, was very anti-Trump, was, was very much not a conservative was very much not a Republican, and that showed. I don't think that um, people that you bring on to lead your agency should be partisan hacks. Uh, but if that person is actively attempting to destroy you, it's probably not a good idea uh, to let that person keep their job. Yeah, I mean that's that's the that's the most polite way you can put it, my brother, in terms yes. of Donald Trump. I mean. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, the next Republican president needs to to fire the entire city of, of Washington D.C. I mean, it's just uh, my my goodness. And obviously, Trump. He, I mean, that's that's why I've come down so hard on Trump um, lately, saying he cannot be the nominee. One, because he can't win. He can't beat Joe Biden. Everybody knows it. Anybody claiming otherwise is lying to themselves and just hearing what they want to hear. But um, he also has no idea how to hire people. Uh, he's yeah. just he no cannot clue. hire the right people. He, I mean. Look at the clowns running his campaign right now. I mean, the dude has no judgment. He has no discernment at all. I don't know how because he has like six billion dollars, and you it's, don't. It's a... there, there's just, there's a two pronged issue with him. It's like it, it's it's not just about policy, but policy is a big part of it, especially some of the policies he's come to embrace in this campaign. Um, but the other problem is like the hiring thing. 
the 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 complete ineptitude in the hiring process. You run a a non a quote unquote non interventionist um, borderline isolationist political campaign, and hire then HR you McMaster. Hire, yeah. Then then you hire McMaster. Then you hire Bolton, and it's just like, what are you even doing? Do you not understand how this works? And I get that you have people whispering in your ear. Uh, but at the same time, there's a certain amount of personal accountability that has to be taken for hiring decisions that just are complete disaster. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, it's to get hired by Donald Trump, you just have to be nice to him. Yes. I mean, you just have to you have to like get online and say a bunch of Trump friendly stuff, and you gotta you know kiss his ass in person. Yeah, that's this it. The third. This is the third problem. Um, it, it's it's basically the political ideology and the um the leanings his his leanings are are basically uh on loan to the highest bidder and by bidder i mean the person that kisses the ring the most right and that, that's uh, the thing like all politicians are like that but most of them it is actually to the highest bidder <laughs> you know and like mm -hmm. that is uh that is one positive about trump is that he's not he's never been like financially corrupt you know, like he like he wasn't taking bribes. He wasn't actually selling influence like, you know, what Joe Biden does is sells influence to the highest bidder. Um, and, and that's not Trump. But, you know, so he's not yeah. you know, he's not looking so for for bribes, bribes uh, in terms of him are, are more. It's just flattery more, more, more <laughs> yeah. about stroking his ego yeah. than they are about, uh, you know, actual actual bribes. Like yeah. He has this insatiable ego that needs to be satisfied yeah um and everyone he hires has to stroke his ego and if they don't stroke his ego then they're going to get on his bad side example yeah. ron DeSantis. ron DeSantis and, and 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 donald trump were were best friends last year right um <laughs> everything was going great you know uh uh trump very likely voted for DeSantis for governor uh, and now he's out, you know, trashing Ron DeSantis because DeSantis is very close to announcing a political campaign, a presidential campaign uh, against him in the Republican primary. So it's just this this extremely prevalent way, this this habit, not even a habit that Trump has to just abandon anyone who crosses him. Yeah. And it's like it's it's not a healthy thing just from a personal standpoint. Um, but in politics, it, it makes him a even more polarizing and even more controversial figure because not only do you alienate, obviously, the people that disagree with you politically, you even alienate some of the people that agree with you politically because of the way that you treat your quote unquote, uh, you know, brothers in common, the people in your party. Yeah. So it also makes it, him, it's, it's it also makes dynamic. him dangerous. It makes him dangerous on policy. I mean, look what he's doing to attack Ron DeSantis. He's attacking him from the left. I mean, he's okay. basically just parroting the New York Times. Yes. You know, he's like, oh, uh, you know, Ron DeSantis shouldn't have signed the heartbeat bill. You know, he, Ron, Ron DeSantis, you know, it's too harsh to try to save babies from slaughter. <laughs> it's like, what? Well, and then, you know, he, he blamed the pro-life movement for, for all of his ridiculous candidates losing in the midterms last year. It's like, and I, I feel so bad for the hardcore Trump supporters because it's like, like, it honestly makes me sick, dude. And, like, I don't get offended by anything in politics, personally, because I just, I'm an anarchist. I view all these people as blood-soaked monsters that should all be thrown in prison. So it's like, you know, when that's your starting point, it's just like, you know, it's, it's politicians doing anything. It's a, like, uh, yeah, that makes sense. These people are evil. It's, so it's, it's a lot easier to have a stoic outlook on <laughs> on, on the, political, the political establishment and, and just politics in general 
uh, if you start out from that standpoint. I agree with you. <laughs> right, but it's like it. I, I'm offended on behalf of the the hardcore MAGA people because Trump is just insulting their intelligence over and over, and he's stabbing him in the back on politics. I mean, like these people, the Trump's supporters are extremely pro-life, man. Like that was like one of the biggest issues. Like we got to fill this Supreme Court seat. We got to overturn Roe v. Wade, and then for Trump to totally flip and like come out as pro-abortion to own Ron DeSantis. It's like, what What are we doing? And I predict, and it's going to be hilarious when he gets to immigration, because Ron DeSantis just sent a bunch of troops and law enforcement to Texas to help secure their border down there. Um, and, I mean, Trump's going to, like, I'm not even, like, taking a stance on, on immigration. That, uh, that's not the point. But it's like, Donald Trump is going to come out and, like, attack, like, you know it's coming. It's coming like a freight train, brother. Like, he's going to come out on his biggest issue, like the issue that won him the presidency, illegal immigration. He's going to, like, flip and and attack DeSantis from the left on immigration. Like, you know it's going to happen. Because this dude has absolutely no principles whatsoever. Like, it's just, like, he has inklings, you know, which are good. Like, I think he's, you know, like you mentioned, the isolationism. Like, he, like, on a core level, deep down somewhere, he seems to be anti-war. But it's not like, you know, his whole presidency, it's like, well, shoot, man, I hope he's hanging out with Rand Paul today. Not Lindsey Graham, because he played a lot of golf with both of them. You know what I mean? And it's like, dude, you know, he hangs out with with Rand Paul, plays plays 18 holes. And he's like, oh, no, we're not going to bomb Iran because they shot down an unmanned drone. And then it's like he plays 18 holes with Lindsey Graham. And he's like bragging about dropping a Moab on Syria for no reason. And it's like, OK, like this dude is just influenced by whoever is standing next to him on the golf course, you know, which is like yes. it really mm-hmm. makes me nervous, man, because it's like even if. It's like you just don't know where you don't you never know what's going to happen. Like he's so easily influenced by whoever he surrounds himself with that day, that hour, that minute, you know, and they can change that on a, on a yeah, moment yeah. to moment basis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. And that's uh, I think that's dangerous, really. Um, if you have politicians like I would prefer that, you know, politicians are never consistent, but at least some level of consistency in terms of ideology and ideological leanings uh, would be nice. And um, I I think what we see here, I'll I'll give you I'll give you just a brief example. He recently put out a statement about, uh, you know, quote unquote, cracking down on crime, which are actually just a bunch of, you know, authoritarian policies that he would implement if reelected to the presidency. But that aside, he talked about re-implementing um, stop and frisk, but this time re-implementing it nationwide. And what oh, stop gosh. and frisk basically means is that the cops uh, can pretty much search you for any reason based on their own discretion if they feel that you are suspicious. You yeah. could be standing uh, on the street corner smoking a cigarette, and if a cop thinks you're suspicious, they're putting you up against the wall and searching you. It's very authoritarian policy. It has little to no effect on uh, reducing crime. And Donald Trump called out Mike Bloomberg for that policy whenever Mike Bloomberg was running for president on a Democratic ticket. Called him a total racist in a characteristic all-caps tweet. Uh, And now he's talking about this policy as if it's something he wants to see implemented nationwide. So I don't think from a year-to-year, a month-to-month basis, he really remembers what his policy positions is, and that's why I can't say that he really has any um, particular guiding principles, because I can remember what my principles are, right? I'm anti-war. I support as limited of a government as possible, preferably none, 
but we're not there yet. We're not ready for that conversation. And I support, you know, ending the Fed. I support lowering taxes, preferably abolishing some taxes. And I can remember on a day-to-day basis what my principles are. I don't get on podcasts one day and go, oh, we uh, Europeans need to fight European wars. And I don't get on the podcast the next day and go, well, you know, I think we really need to be sending some aid to Ukraine. No, I don't do that. I think we need to be putting some boots on the ground uh, in Ukraine, <laughs> you know, to help Ukraine defeat uh, the Russian aggressor. But But with Trump, it's like, there's no principles whatsoever. He can't remember from a day-to-day, month-to-month basis, even a second-to-second basis, his stance. He could take one stance one minute, and then somebody whispers in his ear, and he's going to take the next, the, uh, the complete polar opposite stance. Yeah. So no, I don't. I don't think it's consistent. And in terms of consistency of politicians, it's a low bar, but it's particularly concerning whenever you take a position that you were completely against five seconds ago. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the what we're up against right now with the FBI, the quote unquote deep state, um, this is the fight, man. I mean, between that and making sure the government can't lock down the economy again. I mean, those are the two most important issues um, we're facing, including the war in Ukraine, Um, because if I mean, if if we lose this fight against the FBI, it's all over. Um, and there's this there's this uh, borrowing against the future of children and, and, and grandchildren that's going on right now. And we yeah. also we also have that as a, as a huge issue. You know, it's akin to like robbing them of their right to a better future. It's the right to live without without a crushing burden of debt. Yeah. We can't continue to spend recklessly. And we, we, we've got this debate going on right now uh, about the debt ceiling where Democrats are offering uh, the, the 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 offering from Democrats, the uh the proposal, what they are adding to the conversation is let's ignore the debt. Let's forget about the debt. Let's just continue to spend like, you know, drunken Marxists. And what the Republicans are saying is let's pay a little bit of attention to the debt, but let's also continue to spend like drunken Marxists. So essentially, <laughs> one solution is not much better than the other solution. Yeah. I don't think that, just briefly, I, I don't think that it's enough to simply say that we care about our children or we care about our grandchildren. Obviously, you know, everyone with a soul, everyone worth a salt cares about their children. They care about their grandchildren's futures, but we have to act on that care. We have to act on that care. We have to act on that care by taking steps to, to reduce our burden of debt and their burden of debt. Yeah. Because the idea that future generations should be saddled with all this debt is, is just, it, it's it's almost immoral. It is immoral. It's immoral. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's, it's it's evil. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I mean, that's another thing that Trump is attacking DeSantis on the left on. I mean, he's because DeSantis mm-hmm. is a when he was in Congress, yeah. he was a Tea Party guy. He was a Freedom Caucus guy, and he, you he know, wanted he wants to, to cut reform. Social Security and, and and reform Medicare and right. and, 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 and Trump that, is, that kind of thing. And and Trump is talking about how oh no, absolutely no cuts to Social Security ever, dude. My brother in Christ, listen to me. It's going to be insolvent in nine years. You're going to have to face this in nine years if you don't face it right now. It's a debate that's going to be happening in the, within the next two presidential election cycles. Yeah. This is not something they can continue to kick the can down the road. No, it's happening this, regardless. I mean, once in, in, in nine years, um, when Social Security is insolvent, insolvent, when you hit that limit, essentially there'll be like a 25% drop-off across the board in all benefits. Mm-hmm. So yep. it's like, okay, it's happening 
very soon. I mean, you can you can deal with it the right way or the wrong way. Um, but it's it, and when it comes to the FBI, I mean, like we have Democrats. You saw, you know, obviously all the the ballot box stuffing stuff was probably all fake. At least the Democrats didn't stuff enough boxes to to flip elections. Donald Trump lost, you know, but. You know, they, they do. Democrats are fortifying their election processes. I mean, they're they are you know really expanding their their. And, and it's it's not just that. There, there's a deeper issue here, and uh, I've been saying this for a while. Democrats are very very good um, at using Solinsky type tactics. They've oh, read yeah. rules. They've read rules for radicals cover to cover. Uh, meanwhile, you have Republicans. Uh, people on the right, even libertarians who say, you know, let's not do that. Let's not use Alinsky tactics. We don't have any room for Alinsky tactics in, in our movement. Well, if you don't have any room for Alinsky tactics and, and confrontational politics in your political movement, you're going to lose. Because well, and if you, it's, even it's, going... Like, it's like going into a ring when someone has a chainsaw and you show up with boxing gloves. Yeah. You, you're, you are not going to win that fight. You have to use the same tactics as your opponent if you want to win. It's and you just have that to, simple. And going further than that, you have to use the state to destroy the state. I mean, you have to use state power to, you know, to rein in or destroy the FBI. I mean, you have to, and that, that's another thing that DeSantis understands. And Trump understands that too, but he he's so scatterbrained and inconsistent and, and utterly lacking of principle that he just wasn't able to do anything. You know, he... he you need to be surrounded by a solid team. You need to know what you're doing. You need to know yeah. where you stand on the issues if you're going to actually do anything. And, and you know, I, libertarians are going crazy on Ron DeSantis on a daily basis. Like, oh, how dare he use state power to go after Disney or to do this, that, or the other. It's like, guys, I'm an anarchist. Okay, like, I, I don't believe the system should exist at all, but it does, and it will, at least the rest of my lifetime, more than likely. I mean, like, we're not turning into some stateless society anytime soon. That would be fantastic, but it's just not going to happen. So the state but power does exist. We have okay? to we have to come down to, to earth, right? Yes. We have to say we have to say there's not going to be a winter palace style raid of the FBI building of a bunch of uh, you know ticked off citizens that just want to abolish the thing, right? Just abolish it by force. It's not going to happen. Uh, we've moved away from, you know, anything that could even be remotely controversial in, in terms of like, uh, you know, insurrection-y type stuff and that right. kind of thing. And and uh, even though that is what our country was founded upon, the this idea that free people have the right to abolish our government. Now, anyone who says that is, is you know, an insurrectionist or, or, or crazy or, or not living in the right century. But what we do have to understand is that we do have an apparatus that we can use to accomplish um, some of the things that we want to accomplish in terms of limiting government power. And as much as I hate to admit it, really the only the only viable path forward uh, is to gain control of the reins of power in government and to use that power against the power of government to decentralize, to you know, chop off some agencies. To, to cut the to, to cut the spending, to try to get rid of some taxes, to try to do everything we possibly can to limit the size and scope of government. Because right now, that is the conversation that people are willing to have. You're not going to win too many friends or influence too many people by telling them that you're an anarcho-capitalist and you want to go out and destroy <laughs> the system completely and you hope right. it falls tomorrow. 
Right. You're not going to abolish the Federal Reserve tomorrow because that would have a devastating effect on people. You're not going to abolish Social Security tomorrow because that would have a devastating effect on seniors. You have to bring your policies down to earth, and what you have to understand is that in order to gain political power, you have to tone it down a little bit. And that, that's not to say that you don't tell your – if you run for office, that's not to say that you don't tell your constituents what you really stand for or that you lie to them. That's to say that there is a way of shaping your principles in a way that they can understand. If I tell a group of conservatives or a room full of conservatives that I'm an anarchist, they're going to look at me and think I'm crazy. If I tell them that I believe that government is too big and that we need to limit the size and scope of government, we need to bring it back down to size, and in some issues we need to take a machete to it, then you're going to perk up some ears and conservatives are going to listen to you. But you are not going to be able to have that influence if you continue to be – you know, uh, radical in, in public, and that's not to say that radical rhetoric is wrong or, or, or misguided. Be radical. Be radical, but be radical in a way in which you can actually make a difference, in which you can actually affect change, and not in a way in which it just sounds like you're, you know, some crazy person uh, preaching to the choir. Oh, 100%. Well, I will say, side note, though, after COVID, a lot of my uh, conservative friends and, and, you know, conservatives that come on the show regularly to a man they were like yeah i kind of get where you're coming from now mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> you know? i mean yeah. after they saw what the state was capable of during covid mm-hmm. i mean all the the death and destruction caused by these people they're like yeah i get it. i i get it <laughs> i get it mm-hmm. and we, but, we uh, also we also don't want to get into a situation where it's like uh, boromir with the one ring right, right. we want to gain power and we want to we want to use power for good. Yeah, we no, we want to gain power for the specific purpose of using it to destroy power. Hundred percent. And to do that, well, you got to win. And it all comes down to winning, man. Yes. You absolutely. have to win these elections. You have to support the candidates that can actually win. It's just support the best. I mean, and I get, I get crap from libertarians all the time, like my friends and just people that listen to the show. They're like, how can you support the, you know, Ron DeSantis is bad on this, blah, blah, blah. The, you know, so-and-so is bad on this. Why do you, you know, because I'll have candidates on the show and endorse them on the show. Like, I endorse <laughs> candidates on the show. Like, I'm I'm a hack, I man. think like we, I, we, we need to demand better from our political system. Oh, I'll give you just a tiny bit of pushback on that. I think lesser evil voting is killing us. Um, we need to demand better from our political system. We need to demand a better slate of candidates. And if neither of those candidates are all aligned with what we believe in, then just leave it blank or write somebody in. It doesn't really – at the end of the day, I'm not going to cast my vote for somebody I vehemently disagree with on 80 percent of issues because they have a certain letter next to their name. I'll give you an example. Last gubernatorial election, I didn't vote for Bill Lee, and now we see Bill Lee out here pushing red flag laws in the state of Tennessee, trying to call a special session, uh, using the politician speak. Uh, for red flag laws. So essentially, um, I made that decision because I had seen a pattern of behavior in which he would not, you know, he didn't have much of a backbone, I guess is the right way to put it. He would not stand up against the mob, and he was very influential or influenced uh, by mob pressure. And now we see that manifest today. So I I voted for the libertarian candidate. I said, you know what, the heck with it. I'm not going to cast my vote for somebody that I don't trust. And now I think that was the right decision. So it's all a matter of context. It's all a matter of having uh, people that you want to vote for and that you are willing to cast your vote for 
uh, if you're if you're not willing to cast your vote for them, if they don't agree with you on most issues and they're unwilling to compromise, you're not under any obligation to vote for them because they're the quote unquote lesser of two evils. One hundred percent. I think I um, because you're from Tennessee, I'm from Ohio. Obviously, Ohio is is a lot redder now than it used to be, mm-hmm. but yeah. uh, you know, it was called the bellwether it state. Very purple state. Yeah, I mean, it was it was called the bellwether state for 120 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Ohio picked the president every every four years for like 120 years. Um, and elections, statewide elections would regularly come down to, you know, thousands, not tens of thousands of votes. I mean, like very, very close elections. Um, and so my threshold of what a candidate needs to do to earn my vote is probably lower than, than yours growing up in a red state. Um, but it's not, mm-hmm. it's not. I mean, obviously, I have standards. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm not right. going to vote for somebody I agree with 20% of the issues on. But, you know, I'd say DeSantis, he's he's probably in, what, the, I don't know, 60, 65 percentile. <laughs> you know, and, like, that's good enough for me. You know, like, I know I'm not going to get, you know, like, you know, I'm not going to be president. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're not going to be president. And, like, I'd, I'd much rather vote for you than Ron DeSantis. But, like, you know, Ron DeSantis can get there. You know, like, he's he's good enough on enough stuff. You know, and and the in the short can get there if he has the right people whispering in his ear. It just gets back to you know who you have in your circle and who you listen to and who you trust. If, if Ron DeSantis has someone like uh, like Mark Levin whispering in his ear about how oh we need compassionate uh, uh, interventions overseas and oh look at how this these these downtrodden people need to be saved by the mighty hand of the U.S. military. Then he's going to be just as interventionist as, as George Bush Jr. He's going to essentially be the third term of George W. Bush. But he's not. But, I mean, he's already come out but, against the Ukraine war, if, and yeah. If if he has the right people whispering in his ear, you know, people like Tho Bishop, who has you know developed something of a relationship with with DeSantis, which is very uh, encouraging, by the way. Yes, absolutely. If you have those kind of people whispering in his ear, then I think he will be a good president, or at least better than the status quo. Right. And in the short term, you know, going back to the FBI stuff, are, are you know, obviously I am optimistic long term, but mm-hmm. in the short term, it's unlikely but possible that with a Republican president and, and you need a pretty massive congressional majority in both houses because obviously snakes in the grass like a like a Mitch McConnell, people like that are always yeah, going to side with the FBI with the state, mm-hmm. but. You know, it is possible, unlikely but possible, that with a Republican president and a massive congressional majority, we could get some hearings. Maybe we can get some arrests. We maybe we can start chipping away at the FBI's power. Maybe not. Maybe maybe DeSantis and the rest no, of them will continue to be as as, as feckless. Unfortunately, as, all you can really hope to get is like hearings and like show hearings where it's just for you know publicity. It's just a basically a dog and pony show, like with you know tech hearings. That's not so, worth nothing. That's not worth nothing, though. You know. It's not worth nothing in terms of, you know, um, I guess a broadcast to people that uh, educating the public, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ed- educating the public, right? Public education. But the thing about it is, you know, you want more than that, and the the incrementalists outnumber the radicals. So, I mean, every time you see a just a debate on a bill like. Um, uh, the uh, the the Syria withdrawal bill, or the uh, the Syria um, let me see the Syria it, it was a um, it was a it was a military authorization um, for 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 use of force in Syria. Um, I think it was called a AUMF, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. that Matt Gates introduced. He also introduced uh, similar legislation for Somalia. 
Rand Paul introduced it in the Senate, it got very, very few votes. Like it was voted down by a huge, huge margin. And that's just that's let just a reminder. Let me push that, back a little bit because I was pissed when when those when those bills went down and it was disappointing that more people didn't support it. However, especially the Syria resolution, I think we got even more so the Somalia resolution. We got something like a hundred ten or hundred and twenty votes for it, and then maybe ten or twenty in the Senate. It, and, it is I, I'm gonna like that, that's there, that, that's that disappointing is, but positive that you see more people. ten years ago we would have gotten five in the House ago, and zero in the five Senate. Five in you the know, House yeah. and, and, and two in the Senate maybe. Right. So yeah, I mean it is it is a step in the right direction that you have more uh, Republicans taking that non-interventionist perspective, but we're just not there yet. We need to do so much more work. One more thing on the FBI before we move on. Mm-hmm. I just need the audience to understand what we are truly up against. The FBI managed to destroy the Trump presidency, make sure he was handcuffed his entire presidency, and make sure he didn't win re-election, and make over half the country terrified of Russia all at the same time, which is, mm-hmm. I mean, let's admit it, man. Let's admit what we're up against. It's pretty brilliant. It's pretty brilliant. It's evil. Unspeakably evil. Don't make the mistake of thinking that your enemies are stupid and they just have all these stupid ideas. They do have stupid ideas, but they're pretty efficient in the implementation of their stupid ideas. Yes. I mean, Joe Biden's stupid. OK, he's not a smart man. Even before the, the Alzheimer's, he was not a very bright guy. You know, but the, the a lot of these hacks on CNN or whatever, they're not, you know, Don Lemon's not yeah. very bright. Like, I understand that. But. I mean, look at the efficiency that the that the FBI displayed. I can't think of a better way to destroy Republicans and sell a war with Russia. I mean, these people are great at their jobs. It's like you see buffoons like Comey and, and, and these others on TV and think, oh, these people are incompetent. And you kind of think they're incompetent because you look at, like, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, and you're like, oh, they're just like that. No, they're not. <laughs> no, they're not. no, those those people are in those positions for a reason. You yes. know, somebody knew that they would be the perfect lackey. Yes. Um, they, did, they didn't get there for no reason. You don't get into a, a, a position of prestige and power in this government uh, unless you are willing to be the perfect lackey or yeah. at least, you know, a permissible lackey. And now you have probably 60 percent of the country terrified of Russia thinking it's 1980 again. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and, and it's funny, too. And not funny. I mean, a lot of people have died. It's, the war is, is, is tragic. It's horrible. But I mean, if you look at what we've seen over the last year plus, you know, 15 months or so of the war in Ukraine, Russia isn't a threat to anybody. They can't even conquer Ukraine, who has an outdated, tiny military. They're all their their armies all conscripted. They're a bunch of kids and old men that don't know how to fight, and Russia can't even conquer them. I mean, they're not a threat to NATO. They're certainly not a threat to North America. Are you kidding me? Like this is not the Soviet Union we're up against. I mean, Russia is. They're not a threat at all, and you still have over half the country obsessed with Russia, terrified. They go to bed at night terrified of the Ruskies, like like it's 1977 or something. I mean, it's like it's completely ridiculous, and the FBI right. seamlessly managed to take out the president they hated and sell a war with Russia all at the same time. I mean, these people are great at their jobs, they're brilliant, they're evil, and that mm-hmm. is a terrifying combination. <laughs> that is a terrifying combination. Well, in the, uh, in the rather rather egregiously paraphrased words of the great Ron Paul, I believe that there are more threats to American liberty within a five-mile radius 
of the Capitol building, of his office, he believed there there was uh, more threats to American liberty within a five mile radius of his audience of his office, excuse me, uh, than he did overseas. And I think that still rings through today. Your greatest threat to your liberty is right there in Washington D.C. It's not in Moscow. It's not in Beijing. Um, to a large extent, those countries, as strong as they may seem on the surface, are very weak. China has a very weak economic system. The one-child policy destroyed China. That's why they've been um, encouraged or forced to embrace some, some form of uh, quasi-capitalist corporatism, like some kind of fascism. Uh, and now they're not – you, really, you can't really accurately call them a fully communist country now. It's not the Mao days. They've embraced uh, you know, some kind of fascism, and same with Russia. They're no longer a communist country. They've embraced uh, – more capitalist principles. So at the end of the day, this is not 1980. This is not the Soviet Union. China is is not that strong either. And um, whenever we whenever we uh, you know parrot these stereotypes about these countries and we talk about this quote unquote new axis of evil, like we're living in 1943, it's just like, what are we even doing? What are we even doing? We're demonizing entire groups of people talking about the Russians or, or the Chinese, when in reality, yeah, their governments are bad, but let's face it, they're pretty weak. They're pretty yeah. weak. And, 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 and I've, I've said that you know, just briefly, a, a war with China would be a profound waste of blood, profound waste of ammunition, and a profound waste of money. Because you give China 20 years, they're going to just run themselves into the ground because their economic system is in disarray. Like I said, the one-child policy destroyed them. Just give it time. Give it time. We don't have to fight a war with China. They are going to fall within the next 20 years, and I guarantee you that I'm right. Yeah, no, 100%. That, that's 100% correct. Um, well, before I let you go, um, you, you brought up before before the podcast this morning uh, what we're looking at right now with our government attempting to regulate artificial intelligence next. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, what could go wrong, right? <laughs> right, right. right, right. Um, so uh, I'll admit, obviously, with the new baby and everything, I've not—it's not an issue that I've I've had any time to really do a deep dive into yet, but where are we with this? Like, where is our government at right now with attempting to regulate AI? Well, like with, uh, like with cryptocurrency and with everything that government doesn't understand— um, or poses any remote threat to the public, uh, government is trying to regulate uh, and, and take control of the development process and the implementation process of, of this technology. Um, we have the uh, CEO of uh, OpenAI, a guy by the name of Sam Altman. If you don't know what OpenAI is, I assume everybody does at this point. It's what created and you know developed ChatGPT, and, and I think more... Uh, more famously, in in recent in recent days, uh, GPT four. So all those uh, all those AI platforms were developed by OpenAI. It's like the biggest, uh, you know, AI experimentation um, company uh, in the world right now. And he goes to Washington and he begs Congress for regulation. Begs Congress, basically on his hands and knees for regulation. Everybody looks at this and says, well, he's begging Congress for regulation because he sees just how dangerous and how much of a threat AI could pose to the public. No, he's not. He's doing the exact same thing that big tech did. He's lobbying for regulation. 
because he's, he knows that this sector is going to be a huge thing in the marketplace in the next 20 years. And he wants OpenAI, he wants his company to have a leg up over every other company that comes about because inevitably you're going to have more companies that are already exist that are going to start developing innovations and are going to start encroaching on OpenAI's territory. And he wants big daddy government to pass regulations to give his company a monopoly over AI production. That's all he wants. That's literally all he wants. Whenever you have corporations and you have people you have CEOs of corporations and companies start lobbying Congress for regulation, like when big tech lobbied Congress for regulation. They're not lobbying Congress for regulation out of the goodness of their hearts or because they think their company is such a profound threat to humanity. They are lobbying Congress for regulation because they understand that regulation prevents competition and they don't want competition. 100%. It was the exact same thing Zuckerberg was doing um, over at Facebook over the last few years. Um, mm -hmm. and what people need to understand too, uh, it's not Congress that would be writing these regulations. It's the people no, behind the scenes that say destroyed Trump's presidency and sold a war with Russia. Okay. It's, it's not the incompetent, the incompetent buffoons in yeah, Congress. The only thing, it's the, only the evil competent really people in the background. That is more, that is more scary. You're right. You're right. The, the bureaucracy would be in charge of the whole process. But the only thing that I can think of that is more scary uh, than the than the idea of AI, you know, taking over the human race, which is you know the fear tactic out there, the scare tactic that people use. AI is going to take us over. I think that's overblown. We won't get into that. The only thing I can think of that is more scary, if we just give them that argument, if we just say, okay, I'm going to operate off this premise. The only thing I can think of that is more scary than that is government putting government and bureaucracy in charge of the development and implementation process of this technology, because let me tell you what's going to happen. Government is going to pass regulations on AI. Eventually, it's going to start from a trickle, but eventually what is going to happen is government is going to almost completely remove artificial intelligence from the private sector. They're going to completely abolish it from the private sector. And not, well, maybe not completely, almost completely abolish it from the private sector. And they're going to use this uh, the scare tactic of AI taking over all the jobs and putting people out of work whenever AI starts to develop more and starts to be more capable of actually taking over jobs you're going to see the move to pretty much just remove it from the private sector there's a problem with that and let me tell you what the problem with that is when you remove something from the private sector where does it go yeah it doesn't it doesn't disappear into thin air it doesn't disappear into thin air it goes into the public sector government sees a huge potential to use AI technology for military and surveillance purpose. The, the, uh, the amount of destruction and, and, and spying that could be conducted by artificial intelligence once this stuff becomes more fine-tuned and becomes more than just a prototype is insane. The Patriot Act if, on steroids. And, if, and yeah. if, government, if government is in charge of this process, then look out. Yeah. Because they are going to have an almost complete and total monopoly over the technology, and that will be a bad day for America and the rest of the world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the surveillance surveillance capabilities of AI, I mean, it's it's terrifying. They're insane, dude. They're I insane. mean, what they would be capable the, the of. The facial recognition technology and what it would be capable of, just the sheer capability of this is, is terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, it's it even much... more terrifying in government hands. Oh yeah, yeah, it would be much worse and a lot, a lot quicker. 
um, a lot easily, more easily implemented than the Patriot Act. I don't have a heck of a lot of trust in the private sector to not screw this up and get us into a Terminator situation, but I sure as heck don't have any confidence whatsoever in the government not to screw this up. 100%. And unfortunately, I'm sure this is a topic we're going to be talking about a lot <laughs> in the coming months and yes. years. So, mm-hmm. um, Absolutely. Decades. Ezra, my brother, thanks for doing this, man. Let's do it again soon. Where can everybody uh, follow you online, read your stuff, keep in touch, all that good stuff? Absolutely, man. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me on again. It's been a pleasure. Be happy to do it again anytime. You can follow me on Twitter, uh, at Ezra for Liberty. I'm uh, obviously the comms director at uh, Liberty Youth Coalition. You can follow us at Liberty Youth Co., uh, on Twitter. Uh, you can also follow my Substack, which I believe is EzraWyrick.substack.com, uh, something like that. Uh, you'll, you just search it up. You'll find me. Um, but it's been a pleasure, man, and I appreciate you uh, having me on. Absolutely. Everybody follow Ezra. He's great. That's all I got for today. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks. Uh-huh.